This is the On The Touchline Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. In Season 3, Episode 9 of the On The Touchline Podcast, Aaron Rodgers and I talked to Megan Frank. Megan is an author, she's a coach, she's a parent, and has done a deep dive, uh, a research-based dive, into parental behavior as it relates to sport. Absolutely fascinating episode, and would actually highly recommend hitting the pause button right now or opening the notes application on your phone and taking some notes during this episode. A lot of really great takeaways that you can apply in your local situation or in your local community. So I mentioned that Megan is an author, and she's also a high school soccer coach as well uh, in Wisconsin. And the Team Adult Playbook, and I've included a link in the show notes, uh, Choosing to Build a Better Village for Our Sporting Kids is a unique exploration of adult emotions around youth and high school team sports. It tackles the difficult conversations people avoid in the hopes that working through the tough stuff at the adult level will improve the sports experience for everyone. So we know in the football and soccer environment that there's the technical, the tactical, the psychological, and the physical environments and sort of the four pillars of the game. But where exactly does parental relations fit into this mix? I'm thankful that in one of the recent coaching education courses that there was a fairly significant amount of time not only um, dedicated to leading the player, but leading the team and all the, you know, in some cases, baggage that comes along with that. So death, taxes, and working with parents. Um, If you've been in this profession, in this world, uh, for any amount of time, uh, I've seen coaches sort of do probably one of three different things. Uh, One, they avoid parents at all costs. Two, they're probably too chummy or buddy-buddy with parents. And three, there's sort of this weird in-between that you'll hear from me sometimes, but may or may not be you know regular enough uh, communication. I think one of the great challenges for us going forward as coaches is figuring out where exactly is that sweet spot. And Megan offers some fantastic takeaways that you can as I mentioned earlier, apply in your local situation. And to try, you know, we know that we're not necessarily going to change the world when it comes to football or soccer on this podcast. And that's not really our intention. But if you can make your community a little bit better, if you can make your situation a little bit better, then we've helped pay it forward um, in terms of what we're trying to achieve. So this podcast is available on all major podcasting platforms. And be sure that if you haven't subscribed to the show, that whatever platform you listen on, please be sure to subscribe. That way you'll never miss a new episode of the show. Also, uh, if you listen to the show on Apple Podcast, hit the pause button right now, go there, leave a five-star rating and a review for the show, and help more and more folks in the footballing world find out about the On the Touchline podcast. And last but not least, you can connect with Aaron and I at any time and highly active on Twitter and Instagram for both of us. 
He is at Ohio Soccer Coach, and I am at Soccer Coach JB. And information on both of those is, as I mentioned before, in the show notes. Guys, I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Season 3, Episode 9, and our guest, Megan Frank. This is uh, just a a really, I mean, the work you're doing is incredibly valuable. And it's something that Aaron and I, um, you know, we we hear a lot in the work that we do as coaches. And that um, I want to read something um, from your website that I thought was really interesting. So pull it up here. Uh, So for folks listening to this, the Team Adult Playbook, uh, Choosing to Build a Better Village of Our Sporting Kids, is a unique exploration of adult emotions around youth and high school team sports. It tackles the difficult conversations people avoid in the hopes that working through the tough stuff at the adult level will improve the sports experience for everyone. Sports requires emotional navigation. When experienced in a team setting, things are quickly complicated by the various relationships people must also navigate. Most adults work to attend to the emotional and mental well-being of the athletes, but spend little time, uh, let's see, spend little time self-reflecting or working on the emotional connections they have with those kids or with the adults around them. Improving the emotional awareness of adults involved in youth sports will positively enhance the experience for everyone who shows up to be a part of the team. So I I guess my first question, um, tell folks a little bit about your backstory, and then we'll do a a deep dive into some of those things uh, on this particular episode. Um, But what brought you or sort of what inspired you to go in this direction, um, you know, in this line of work? Well, I... My husband and I have both been around and involved in sports our entire lives as athletes, and we were both coaches before we had children. For years, it's been what we've done. So I think we thought, or I thought, that I had it down. I knew what the sports world was. I knew how to do it. I knew how to navigate it. I knew how to to live there until I had children and until they started to show up on teams um, with people that I didn't necessarily know and coaches I didn't necessarily know. And I was a parent now in this environment. And being a sports parent was like landing on the moon for me in the sports world, which seems like ridiculous, except that I hadn't looked at the world of sports through that lens yet. I'd always been from the athlete on the field or the court. Um, And then as a coach, you're on the opposite side of the field. And so by the time I was actually sitting in the stands with those people and navigating my own emotions, I realized I was really, really ill-prepared to be on that side of the field because it was a different experience watching my own children play than anything I had done up to that point. Um, my husband's a hockey player and coach, so I got immersed into that world, didn't really read the fine print on the bottom of our marriage certificate or what that would mean. So I spent a lot of time in hockey rinks, and that was my kind of initial introduction to youth sports parenting. And if you want to see an emotionally charged environment, just go to a squirt level game that might determine where they're going to be in a tournament and everyone's packed together in the stands. And that was so eye-opening to me. So because I was feeling this myself and I realized I wasn't going to probably do it very well unless I knew more about it and more about it for myself, 
I needed to do some work. And this isn't the first project I've done like this. The first one I did was to save my marriage because I like my husband and I really wanted to be better at being married. So I did a first research project around that. And then I felt the same sorts of incompetencies around being a youth sports parent and felt like, okay, I need to do this here too. And so started the process of researching. And my oldest was 10, he's now 19. So for about nine years now, I've been really invested in interviewing people, reading everything I could, um, in surveys, going and kind of immersing myself in understanding what it is to be the best kind of sports parent I can. But it's also informed me as a coach, too, um, to just see it from the adult perspective on all sides of the field. I feel like the, um, the sporting environment for young people is one that it's a lot of different things, right? It, it feels like high pressure. Um, it feels like, you know, the stakes each year sort of get raised higher and higher. It feels like people are coming in hot, so to speak, in terms of their emotions the minute they get out of their car, whether it be to, you know, walk to a soccer pitch, whether it be to walk into an ice hockey rink, a baseball field, a basketball court, you know, whatever it might be, that they're sort of coming in hot in terms of, you know, oh, I want this, or, you know, this determines sort of my wealth or my worth as a, um, uh, as a parent. And, you know, uh, I, I, I'm really appreciative of your backstory, uh, Megan, because I, I feel like I've felt that as a, as a coach, but also as a, um, you know, a, a coach and a parent of a, of a youth player and that recognizing what those feelings actually are and recognizing that, um, you know, uh, there's a lot involved than actually what just happens, you know, on a field, on an ice hockey rink, a court, whatever it might be. So what do parents really need to know? Um, and where, I mean, where should they even start? Well, I think the, the starting part is the, is the mirror. And that is a really difficult thing to, to ask people to do because emotions, especially the ugly ones, we really try to avoid. It's sort of our, our cultural expectation to just push them aside, to not feel them, to just pretend they don't exist. And the sporting world is innately filled with emotion. Like you said, people are coming in hot. It's almost like that is a place we know that we as a society can show up to emote. We're going to emote there. And we like that. It's human to be emotional. And sports provide a really, really good vehicle to do that. So that is part of why we love sports. And to be analytical about that is not fun. To just be emotional is really fun. Whether it's a bad emotion, an ugly emotion, a yelling emotion, a, a happy, like just being emotional without having to think about it, that's great. So the mirror and asking, asking adults to turn the mirror and look at their emotions to hear themselves in the way that they speak when they're in an environment where emotion is happening, that is a really difficult ask. But that is the ask. That is the ask that I have for the people that I feel want to be invested in, in their relationships with their children, the relationships with the athletes they coach, the relationships with the people around them. Because until they look in the mirror and really want to see how those emotions are affecting their behavior because the emotions are going to show up There's, I still haven't found a way to stop my like mama bear someone taking out my kid sort of emotion that comes like I can't stop that but what I learn and when I practicing and when I try to encourage for the people who talk to me about it is to take 
that and make sure you choose the best behavior with that emotion. So you can't change the way you feel, but you can change the way you behave. The first and foremost thing though is to, to acknowledge the emotions are there, try to figure out if it's bigger than the moment of this ref being an idiot, are you angry about something else in your life? And really, really taking that time to be introspective. But again, not really what people want to do, but that is, I think, what people need to be doing. You know, it's, it's as you said, I mean, you obviously hit on the, the key term of emotion. And I mean, we do go to sporting events, professional, I mean, our kids, without our kids. And because, I mean, I, I just supporting my favorite soccer team, you know, I feel that anxiety if they're not doing well and I'm not, I'm not physically connected to those people emotionally maybe, but not physically. And, and so as, as a parent, you're both emotionally and physically connected to that player. And so you're, and, and so how do you, how do you kind of put juxtapose those things as far as I want to be emotional and I want to cheer or be sad if, if things go my way or not go my way, but not to put those on to the performance of my child. Right. And that is definitely uh, still in practice for me. I don't think that I've <laughs> absolutely arrived there. There's, there is. So my oldest or my, my middle daughter, my oldest daughter is a hockey goalie. So if there's anything to challenge my emotional presence with her and um, that's been a challenge in, in watching objectively. So that's, that's what I try to do. I try to approach when I go to her games, imagining that I'm an alien who's simply landed in this place and look at the game from as objective a perspective as I can. And to, to watch it in that way. Then when I have my, my physical and emotional reactions with her afterward, I really work hard to just support her as a person outside of her pads, outside of her, her helmet, and to let her drive where we go. And I think oftentimes when I watch, especially when their child has had a, a bad performance or even if they've had a good performance, they come and, and their reaction right away is how the parent has felt about that. Instead of asking and stepping into, okay, how, do, how did you feel about that? And that simple flip of, of a question for her makes me realize that really this is her game and I'm here to support her. And I will, and then I ask her, you know, do you need to hear me on the sideline? Do you need to, like, what do you need? Because this is your game. And this is why it's different for me than watching a professional game where those professionals are there really for my emotion, let's be honest. <laughs> but our children are there, you know, we're raising them. So for us to be fans at their events and not parents, we lose a little bit of what we can provide for them. And so that's a flip for me is, is making sure that I recognize that I'm not just a fan at those games. And actually I'm more importantly, a parent at those games. And so how do I parent my children after and during their performances? That's amazing perspective to look at it. And I never thought about it until you just said it, you know, don't be a fan of your, I mean, you can be a fan of your child. 
yep. but don't solely be a fan. You have to be, that's a, that's fantastic. I love the way you put that. I, but the other thing, Jason and I both played goalkeeper. So, and I hear my mom and soccer, obviously. And I, my mom was always like, Oh, being a goalkeeper's parent is the worst position, worst place to be as a, as a coaching or as a, I'm sorry, as a player's parent. And so my son is, he plays and he's kind of, dabbling in goalkeeper and he played in a little indoor tournament for the first time full-time goalkeeper a couple weeks ago and now I really feel like what my mom felt yeah. like because yeah. I'm like oh gosh I just please save that ball please save that ball I know I know and then and then there's this this reaction I did just the other day she didn't have a great game and she's now a senior so I've done this with her for a long time but what's amazing to me is I sit and watch and and I don't then all of a sudden people don't make eye contact with me <laughs> and so I'm like but I'm not playing and I nothing to do with but but they almost don't even know what to say to me or how to react to me and so I'm like it's a really really interesting and because I'm observing in such a really like research sort of way they don't know that I'm I'm like wow this is really interesting behavior I'm not really sure why you're not making eye contact with me but if I were just experiencing, I'd be a little put off. Like what? I didn't have anything to do with that. Um, but it is interesting. So yeah, if you're, if you're going to go down that route, just know it's going to be an interesting ride, even though you've already played, it's not yeah. the same thing. Oh gosh, it's really not no. the same thing. Gosh, no. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting too, that you say they're not, they're avoiding eye contact with you. Are they avoiding eye contact with you because they're mad because the team <laughs> let in a goal or are they avoiding eye? Cause you're they're, they're thinking, oh man, she must be frustrated or sad. Right. I just don't want to. to I, don't, I think they just—they're just holding a whole lot of emotion. They don't know what to do with, to be honest. And I think you're right. I think there's the frustration. They assume I'm embarrassed. I am yeah. not because I don't yeah. like. I don't. I've gotten better at that. So um, yeah, you're right. I think they just think, boy, there's gonna be a lot of ugly emotion between us. Let's just not look at each other. Let's just pretend it's not there. Yeah, I mean, I think you say you're not embarrassed. Of course, you're not embarrassed because you're you are being a you are a fan, but you're also being a parent. And I think the biggest thing for our, our children and, and even, even our players, because that we coach, because in some ways they're, you know, they're underneath us, like, you know, we're responsible for them, like our children, you know, do not attach your self-worth to your performance. Right. Good or bad. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good or bad. And I mean, I think that's, that's something important to look at. Don't ever, oh, I've played amazing. So I'm this amazing human or I played poorly. I have no self-worth. And so that's so important too, as, as a parent after matches or games that you, they, your child is able or your players are able to, to tell you their thoughts because uh, freely, instead of thinking, man, if I played poorly, then, you know, I'm not a good person or I devalued myself or my relationship with my, because I think that's a huge thing too, is that especially parent player that if they feel like if you're not happy with their performance, then you're not happy with them as a human and you're devaluing that relationship. And I think that's, that's so, so important that you continue to get across to those that, that you're educating and those in, in your sphere. And I mean, I think, and maybe we'll talk about this in a little bit later, but I mean, just for my college team, I do a parent meeting with our parents at the beginning of the season, every season. And that's some of the things that I try to discuss with them is, is you're not responsible for your child's performance. Right. And your value as a parent isn't 
directly related to their performance. Right. And so those are things that are really important to me. And I just try in my little way to help them understand that. But gosh, they probably look at me and go, shut up. <laughs> I just want to feel. I just want to go and watch these games and feel whatever I want to feel. Don't tell me. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Show up and yell at the coach, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that feels better. That feels good. We've all been there. We've all been there. Yes, we have. Um, so Megan, I, I heard something recently, this was on a different podcast, talking about the sort of the, the history of pay-to-play in the U.S., and I'll, I'll tie this all together here, just follow me for a sec. It was talking that in the 1970s that, um, you know, there's a, a movement culturally where parents from a variety of sports, and, you know, we'll use soccer since this is a soccer podcast, that parents said that I want to pay a professional, quote-unquote professional, to coach my kids. And because I'm a paying customer, that now gives me more rights and responsibilities, right? So in terms of being a little more vocal, in terms of voicing my opinion, in terms of, you know, uh, giving compliments, um, storming off in a huff, um, you know, we, I, I'm sure Aaron and I have seen it all. I'm sure you've seen it all, um, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. I wonder what your research has shown in you know, do those timelines sort of coincide with one another um, that because of things like pay to play, you know, and again, and it's happened in a rec environment too, to be fair. Um, you know, I, I've seen the, the same type of behavior and, um, you know, some craziness really from parents. But I, I wonder what you found, um, you know, in researching this topic that has really stood out to you. I would say that, yes, it certainly matters. Oops. The amount of investment in a child's experience, whether it's money or time, those two things add pressure to the environment immediately. And so it also is going to heighten the level of emotion around that because of the investment. Anything that we feel invested in, whether it's, it's financial or emotional, is going to have a higher level of intensity. So for my research across the country, because I have access to all sorts of different kinds of communities, and I'm from Colorado originally, but we live in Wisconsin. So Wisconsin soccer in my small little football town is incredibly different than soccer in suburbs of Denver. And I have friends who've got children in those clubs and academies and playing all sorts of things. And I have a very small, little tight little community. So it does matter that sort of the environment matters as far as what um, happens with people's perspective. And so if you've only been in one environment and that's all you know, and you think this is the way that the, the world has to be and operates at this highly, highly pressurized environment, um, you'll live in that world of emotional just distress all the time and not even realize that that's what's going on. If you are in a place like I am, they don't even realize that that even exists. So um, it certainly matters what exposure people have to that pressure. But I say that the pay to play environment isn't everywhere. That's basically, I mean, it, it, you picking and choosing where you are with your family, with your kids, there are different pockets for different sorts of experiences. Um, and a lot of it has to do with what's already maybe been created or what people have paid into and invested in um, over time. Do you think that, um trying to think how I want to ask this, that, um, you know, we, we as coaches are trying to empower our players to 
you know, make their own decision, right? And to really have ownership of their um, their experience, their journey, their, you know, in my case, I mean, I want some of the younger players I'm working with to really build, build a lifelong love of, in this case, soccer, um, and just, you know, build that affinity. So for a parent, I mean, where do they start, right? Um, how do they even recognize? Because I like what you said earlier about the mirror. I, I wonder how... Like, how does that even start to to have that conversation? Does that come from a club to a parent? Does that, you know, if I'm standing on the sideline, um, you know, I'm just watching a match that my son's playing in, do I find a way to pull somebody aside and say like, hey, like I noticed you're really, <laughs> you're really charged today. You know, you're really wound up. Like, what, you know, can, can we help? I mean... You know, here, here's a therapist. I, yeah, right. I know. I was just telling my husband the other day that I need to set up, make a make a stand or something. You know, Lucy in Charlie Brown, she has that like advice kiosk or whatever, <laughs> yeah. and just go set it up and see if anybody <laughs> even comes over to to chat. If, and, and not a game that I know anyone. You know, just like pop up in some random place. I've seen it happen in both scenarios. So um, there are some organizations, Positive Coaching Alliance does a lot of stuff to try to mitigate from the front end with um, those conversations with parents and coaches. And they do a good job in the program and they do. They're not everywhere though. So that's, um, it's not as accessible to, to everybody. Um, the grassroots effort also works. As you know, everything that is effective is uh, based on relationship building, whether you are in um, a coaching environment and you're building good relationships with your, your team or the teammates or re relationship building with each other. Same thing happens when you're talking about a group of adults on the sideline. Um, and so it happens slowly. I think that's the hard thing. Everybody really wants it to be this, like, what do I do right now? Cause there's crazy parents right now. And sure you can, you can go over and, you know, just be like, Hey, joking around and try to try to calm it down if it's an immediate sort of thing. But if you want any sort of long-term solution, it's, it's full on community relationship building period. And I think the really hard part about youth sports right now is that there is this lack of interest in that community and people don't stay put even for their own kid because they, they see another team that might be a better fit for their, and they're hopping and hopping and hopping and, it's kind of what happens. And it's not just soccer. I definitely see it with all the sports where, you know, their kid is getting good and they want to take him to the very best team. And um, then the community is missing from that. And you can't build it if you're not there to have a relationship with people. And so then there's all these strangers getting together every season. You have like very little time to get to know each other. And so it is much harder to mitigate now than it might have been, you know, 15 or 20 years ago where people would stay in their communities and they could build community there. And relationships and you could have a conversation that was real because you knew each other really well um, it is harder it's harder now but I've seen it from both ends from top down where clubs are trying to have these conversations across the board with all their teams and then from the grassroots effort where there's a plant you know like on the sideline let's let's try to just quietly take care of this group of people who are crazy you know and they're not all crazy. They just might have a crazy day. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, so tell me about the good ones. Um, and what does that look like? Um, because I think a lot of uh, attention gets paid to, you know, the, the stories that we see on social media and in the news and, you know, people climbing literally over the, uh, you know, the glass at a, a hockey match, um, right. you know, a hockey game to fight somebody. Or, I mean, we, we've all seen it. We've seen it in soccer too. And we've seen some ridiculous stuff at times, you know, and yeah. not only, uh, abuse of players, um, abuse of referees, 
um, you know, parent to parent interactions, parent to coach interactions. So what are the good ones doing that might be a key takeaway for people listening to this? That they can say, Ooh, that's a really good nugget or two that maybe I can put in my back pocket. Maybe I can work on locally, you know, uh, in my area. I think, um, and I, I mentioned this in some of the things that I write, it's, it's about team building at the adult level. Okay. So the things that work for your kids when you're coaching them that are team building activities that are either off the field or on the field, where you're doing some sort of creative game where they have to solve problem solve together while they're at practice, or they've gone out to a movie and dinner. So those are the things we do with our teams, right? If we're going to do that at the, at the adult level, what does that look like? Well, it looks like for me, I, you know, trying to have events that are outside of soccer where we all go, you know, say sledding or something, or we have, we just offer it up as this something that's not even having to do with soccer at all, where there is a chance to build relationship, team building for that group of people that are coming together. And I, you know, I, I know that a lot of times this will happen like at a bar or it'll happen at a, you know, a restaurant for food. And those are great things too for, for parents and adults to get together and to commiserate. It can snowball badly depending on the timing for this um if it's after a game or during tournaments those are really kind of a tough so outside getting it outside of their normal comfort zone for engagement um, and that's a challenge but i think something that i've seen work for groups of people um, i think that relationship building is probably the the biggest thing and finding a way that they can engage with each other that are get to know each other when they're not the sideline version of themselves because we're not all that way you know we we all have that crazy tendency and and we see each other if we just see each other there just on the sideline it's not the best version or the most complete per, com, complete version of ourselves um and so that's why i'm trying to pull out into doing other things i've seen i've heard of teams you know like going on long bike rides together um, the parents, the adults. So th that kind of thing being, being, um, and coaches helping to facilitate that and not just leaving it to a team mom to do this because, and I, I say team mom, but I didn't mean to make that sound like it, the old team mom. I think team moms changed. Let me just say that too, but, um, leaving it to a parent to lead. I think if a coach is invested in having those relationships with the, with the, uh, parents, and it's a really scary thing. A lot of coaches don't want to do that. They don't want to cross over the field, really. They want to kind of keep this level, this veneer. But you don't have relationship if you do that. If you keep yourself so separate from the adults who are also helping to raise these children, then you, you can't really get at some of the, the bigger issues when that conversation is necessary because you haven't built a relationship yet. So I think coaches who can kind of help to find a way, Let's how, how can we be social? How can we be problem solving. I don't know, maybe go to an escape room with just the adults on your team, something like that um, would be ideas that I think I'm going to, I'm still employing, I'm still learning, and I don't know that I've totally got it, but there are things that are working better. We've had big soccer games with all, all our adults with like a huge soccer ball. We played walking soccer one time because not all the guys, could, all the people can play soccer, so everybody had to walk. Um, but just, you know, being creative like that where we were doing something as a group. I think you, you, you said an interesting thing about coaches and, and parent relationships. And, and this is something that, that I have tried to communicate with, with our parents of our, of our college players is that I can separate my relationship with 
you as a person as opposed to your daughter's ability or or for lack of a better term lack of ability whatever it might be playing time and have that relationship and because I, I think they think well if my daughter's not playing then I'm mad at that coach mm-hmm. and for whatever reason it is and I don't, if your daughter doesn't play or she does play, I don't care. That doesn't affect my relationship, my personal relationship with you. And I try really hard to do that, but it, it is a two-way street. You're right. Yep. A, the, the coach has to be willing to step over that line and B, the parents have to be willing to do that. The parents have to be willing to have that relationship and, and, and separate, okay, Aaron or Jason or Megan are a human first and a coach second yep. and they're separate. And yep. so I think that's, that's super huge to, to create that relationship. And it's hard. It's definitely mm-hmm. hard from both sides. It's easy when you're, when you play, when your child plays all the time, because mm-hmm. everything's good, you know, you're mm-hmm. happy and your da- your daughter or son is playing and, and then, but if they're not playing, you know, I always, I always, I go into those relationships open arms but sometimes it's not reciprocated for whatever reason and again that's tying their child's performance to their personality and I think that's obviously not right and the other thing too I think how often and I think because from the top down you talked about with the the parent behavior the clubs themselves set standards and expectations for parents just like they set for the, the athletes. I mean, do you see that happening? Oh yeah, definitely. Setting up contracts even for, um, for parents to sign prior to the start of the season where their expectations are very clearly laid out. Um, and you know, it works somewhat as far as laying out what those expectations are, but again, it's, it's the relationship. I mean, how, how well do we really respond to rules? We much, mm-hmm. would much prefer to respond to people mm-hmm. that we trust and people that we have a relationship with. But yeah, the rules are a great place to start and expectations for, for what it is that you, what's our culture? Like, who are we? How do we do things here? What does it look like to be a parent in this program? Um, and yeah, for sure, that needs to be very explicitly explained from the beginning all the way through holding people accountable um, because Otherwise, there's just not a standard for which people can can operate. You always see, you know, just like with your your athletes, and especially as they get older and older, the ones they always tend to gravitate towards the ones that have the same attitude as them, positively or negatively. Mm-hmm. And you get those that don't play a lot and they're frustrated. So what do they do? They look to find the other ones that are frustrated mm-hmm. too because they make each other feel good about themselves. I think parents do the same thing. Yep. I think parents find that group. Well, our daughters don't play a lot. Or our sons don't play a lot. So we can be together and commiserate together. Yep. As, and then you get the one parent that sits, I don't know how it is in hockey, um, but the, the one parent in soccer that sits all the way down at the other end of the field and doesn't want to be around any other, any other parents, you yes. know? And so you get these different, groups which is probably a whole parody that you could do <laughs> well i have i have a whole like list of uh personalities um that are like described and i actually i've been that parent sometimes where i go yeah. all the way down i've been the one in the middle i've tried to like play all these roles and depending on the day depending on how i'm feeling depending on how loud the group is that's next to me and I, i'm an introvert so for me it's there i have to pay attention to what my energy system what that how that looks um 
So yeah, there's lots of ways that different, different personality types even engage with sports. And so one of the things that I've talked about in presentations I've done and things that I write is that the toxicity only happens when a personality goes in a negative behavior route. Because you can't change your personality, you can't change the stripes of who you are, but you can choose how you respond to the way the emotions arrive, to the way that your personality would potentially like default to you can make choices and I've made choices to be okay, fine. I'm going to come into the mix. I'll sit right in the middle with everyone. I will, you know, and you can choose that. And that is, I think too mindlessly, I mean, too mindlessly, we go through our time on the sideline as parents where we're just not paying attention to what we're doing um, in a way that think about it as parents, because the, the fan experience has become such a part of a, our culture that we just have not, we were blurring that line too much between being a fan and being a parent. And, that is what's probably causing the biggest problem. And my, my big advocacy is for these kids, for all these kids. I'd love to just be, see them at their greatest potential as people. And sometimes that includes with a ball at their feet or a puck on a stick. Sometimes that is their greatest potential, but sometimes it's not. And their, their highest potential is only going to be reached if the adults around them coaches parents the other parents who are also at those games everybody is invested in making really really great people um and that's really my whole like point in all of it we're all a team we're yep. all a team. And, I, and i say this to our parents of our of our student athletes every year i can't do this job to the best of my ability without the support of the parents the student athletes because again we're all trying to create good people and utilize this opportunity through soccer or through hockey or whatever it is to become better people and it just so happens that we all love soccer or hockey and that's the commonality that brings us together so let's use our commonality to make each other greater and and become more uh higher character people yep i find it really fascinating that um, I actually wonder if we've set parents up for failure. And I, I asked this question because, again, sort of follow along with me here for a sec, that, you know, it, starting at a very young age, right, everybody's playing, um, you know, we're going to have playing time, we're going to give everybody a shot. You know, we've seen what 10th place trophies, eighth place trophies, you know, whatever it might be. And that you know, you're going to get this because, you know, we want to give this to you for whatever reason. And that it, so that's a foundational thing at a very young age for a player to, to learn that or for a parent to learn that. Then as they progress, there doesn't seem to be a progression in the thinking, at least in my experience of, well, it's always going to be this way. Yet the circumstances, the environment, the coaches, the age, the you know, maturity of everyone involved has evolved and, you know, has gotten a little bit older. And I wonder if, fi you know, sort of trying to bridge that gap of saying like, you know, and Aaron, you probably see this a lot. And I saw it with my high school players that like, you know, only 11 people can play at a time, <laughs> uh, you know, on a, on a soccer team, right? I mean, I would love for a 25-person roster that we could all trot on out there and have a have a ball but we can't do that so you know I think it's equally challenging to manage the expectations of what people have and we live in this world of like 
if something's not right, like we're immediately like going to go through, go for the throat and like, you know, the outrage about everything, you know, and it's like, I, I mean, Megan, you nailed it about the relationships, right? And I would even add another word to that communication mm-hmm. and like, what is normal sort of expected type of communication? Because I've been in environments where there was lacking communication but I've also been in environments where there was probably over communication and then, you know, sometimes, you know, there, there, and it's, it's a balance. I mean, it's truly a, you know, walking that tightrope of like how much information do people need to know, but you know, information power information allows people to feel like they're part of the loop and good and bad. So I'm on a tangent here. I tend to do that on this show. <laughs> well, you started with the idea of whether we've set our parents up for failure. Yeah. And I think, I think the system certainly lends itself to failure for, for the purposes that you, you mentioned in that there's a funneling that happens, right, with athletes. And we, we really want to produce high-performing athletes and we want to have high performing athletes on the teams we coach. And as far as we can get these players to go as to their potential, that, that is a worthy goal. And the problem is there's another, there's not an alternative. That's it. That, that is the only way we have to offer children to get through sports is through that funnel. And I, it makes me sad that there's not this, this encompassing all encompassing adult recreation sort of vibe about sport. We don't have that. We don't have a a, a culture, especially at the high school level where, you know, I have potentially for this spring, I have 60 girls coming out for one, two teams. And do I want any of them to be cut in this town? No, I would love to have all of them involved in a program that, that helps them and they get a chance to grow there I don't know that it's possible, but I don't have another option to tell them, well, just go play for this community team or just go play for this intramural team. Or it's about resources. It's about field space. It's about a whole bunch of things that make the funneling necessary because, you know, little kids, we have a lot more room for little kids to just, we can put lots of them out on the field as they get bigger physically and the maturity changes and competition happens and they really want their funneling makes it impossible to maintain that, that sort of play because playing is fun. There is a, I don't know what the solution is. I definitely see the problem. That is part of the problem. Part of the problem is that, is that funneling and parents panic. I heard so many parents when I was interviewing them, why they were so intent on having their child over-programmed and over-scheduled and overdoing it. When I would say, this is not good for their 10 year old body. This is not good for their 10 year old mentality. And they'd say, if I don't do this, they won't make a high school team. And they're afraid of that. They're afraid of not being able to have a place for their kid to to be part of these teams that we know are important and we know grow them. But we don't have it within us to make other teams or other leagues. And I don't know. I don't know the solution. I just know that that is certainly part of the problem. And it does add to the stress in those communities that have a lot more players than they have spots for on the teams suburbs I would say of a lot of the cities where I interviewed with it's a huge huge issue there for the pressure of the small younger kids because of that because there's just not another option and it doesn't feel as good to say well they didn't make the high school team they're going to go play for this other like fun team um, 
but why we can't wrap our heads around that still being really valuable for them as people, I'm not really sure what, what the answer would be there. But yeah, right now the system's failing that because we start out with, yeah, it's, we want them to be involved, we want them to be active, we want them to be playing, and then, oh, just know, in a couple years, it's going to get really, really hard and nasty, and you're going to need to find a way to get your kid funneled. And so they do. They, they work, they position, they get uh, just on fire, I think is what you were saying, when, when the, why they show up, because that pressure, they know it, whether it's something they've, they've said out loud, they innately know it's a, it's a ticking clock and they don't have very long to, to get their kid in the right spot, to be in the funnel, to be in the right spot. Well, I, I think for the three of us and, you know, people listening to this that, um, I tell my wife this all the time, that being a, a former athlete, there, there's always a competitor inside. You know, there's this, I mean, that's why I played sport. Um, that's why I love competing against somebody to, you know, and to win or to, to prove my own worth or whatever were the reasons I was doing it, you know, to just enjoy it. Um, so it, as I've gotten older, I think um, Aaron and I were actually talking about this a little bit last week of recognizing those moments when we're sort of getting elevated and escalated as coaches and, um, you know, it, it's hard though. And I failed at it thousands of times. You know, I failed at it over the course of the se a season numerous times. Um, but it comes with being able to take a step back and hit the pause button and have, you know, I don't know if people would call it emotional maturity or, you know, perspective or, or whatever it might be that, you know, when, when it stops becoming fun and it stops becoming, um, you know, it really feels sort of burdensome to a coach or a player or a parent. I would say from my own experience that people really need to be able to hit the pause button because there is an arms race in youth sports. And this isn't specific to soccer. I've seen it with my nephew in baseball and you've probably seen it in hockey and other sports. There's an arms race to keep up with the Joneses. And it is exactly what you said, Megan, of, and I've seen this with kids I've coached, you know, younger age kids. They're so overprogrammed. I mean, and they show up and they're almost ready to fall over mm -hmm. because they're tired and then they have to go home and do homework. And then I got to go here and I got to go here and blah, 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 blah. And then it's, it's a ping pong match of like, where am I going now? Whereas, you know, and I think they feel sort of societal. What you said of like, I'm not going to make the high school team or I'm not going to make this, you know, quote unquote elite, you know, travel team or premier team or whatever the heck they call it. Um, you know, it, it's keeping up with the Joneses. And I think parents have to be okay. And this is the hard part. They have to be okay with being able to hit the pause button and say, what is best for us? Mm -hmm. I'm not doing it because the guy down the street or the family down the street is doing it. We're doing it because we're, this is truly the best decision for our son and daughter and for us as a family. Yep. Yep. I'm making some sense there. <laughs> well, and I, you know, we've lived, we've lived in a lot of places. And one of the places where my kids were the most intently just overwhelmed with stress and pressure was a, a suburb of the Twin Cities. And that was where they were all playing hockey and, and soccer. And we had an opportunity to move back to this town where I live now. And we've lived here three times. Long story, we could not figure our lives out to save whatever. So we've moved a lot. And um, it came up, our kids were of the right age to, to ask them, okay, you guys have lived lots of places and this is an opportunity your dad has to coach. And so do you want 
to move back to this small town or do you want to stay? And we were going to leave it to the kids to decide whether we did, you know, the, the move or not. And all three of them, and I'm so like, I don't know why I didn't think about how lucky I was that all three of them said the same thing, but they did. And they all wanted to move back to the smaller town and they all were able to verbalize because they didn't like that race. They didn't like that pressure. They didn't like that ping pong feeling that we were, we were living. If I had at the point in that, you know, in their, their life as, as their mom, and we weren't able to move or something that would have been and should have been a good question to ask them anyway. We had, we had the move to start that conversation, but I am grateful that we were able to, to ask them, each of them, okay, so what kind of environment do you want? What kind of environment feels good to you? And then find the environment that fits each kid. And that, that takes a lot of intentionality. It takes a lot of um, guts because really a lot of times, I mean, there were so many people that were like, you're moving where? And don't you know that sports are really, yep, yep. They're, they're going to be different for us there. And you know, what if our kids don't end up on a certain track to play where, what if, what if, what if I, I wanted to have a great relationship with our children. I still am working on that great relationship with our children. That is the most, most important thing to me. And so in 20 years when, you know, they are bringing their own children back or putting their own kids into sports, I want to be a part of their life in a way that is positive. They don't resent me. We're not bitter. We're a really good place. And that is part of how we have to choose our sports decisions too. I mean, that is how we're raising our children. So I, for us personally, we, if, if you haven't got to move on the, on the verge, you don't, you're, you're not going to have to move anywhere with your family. It's still worth it to sit down every season with your kids and ask them how they feel about what they're being asked to do, how they feel. And if they just say, you know what, I need this season off, take the season off. But if you're not going to listen to the kids at all and just go through the, the motions of, because everybody, the train's moving, we don't want to not be on the train. Um, I think it does a lot of damage to the kids and to the relationships that you could have with those kids without the conversation. And, you know, it's, it's tough. It's so hard to, to be the one that's the outlier and not do what everybody else is doing. Um, but if you're not taking care of the health of your own house, I mean, that's literally the, the only place you can really institute any sort of control. And that is, it's been huge, huge saver for us. And I, like I said, I'm grateful they all were happy to move <laughs> to a smaller town, but it's been good. I love the, the self-awareness, um, not only for yourself, but as a family to recognize that, you know, you're reaching sort of that tipping point of it being too much, right? And I think about this, um, just even my own struggles, um, you know, with my parents at times and related around sport. And exactly, you, you said a really powerful word in terms of resentment, right? I don't want my three kids that when they're in their 30s or if they're bringing grandkids here someday to go, God, mom and dad forced me to do that, right? And they made me do it. Now, I will say there's a time and place, right? To push. sort of, yeah, to, to push your kids, right? Yep, yep. But I, I think there's a, you know, and that, and that's not to say that I we keep our kids in a bubble and that they're never going to experience tough things in their life or, or whatever. There are times you have to push them and kind of nudge them to work through some of that adversity or their own internal, you know, I just don't want to do it because I don't want to do it sort of thing. Um, but I, I, you also mentioned something else about listening to your child. And I, I can't overstate how incredibly valuable and important that is. They give you the answers, 
right? This isn't a, um, a test that you have to cram and sort of, you know, do pull an all-nighter for. Mm -hmm. They literally hand you the answers. Kids can be incredibly, beautifully honest, <laughs> you know, if you've created that environment in your home where they can just share, like, how they feel about a situation. And that ties into, you know, something that I would talk about of, you know, the ride home, right? And that could be after practice, that could be after a match, a game, whatever. And the, the really powerful dynamic that it could be an incredibly positive experience or, you know, I, I experienced as a youth athlete that it was like critique time and, mm -hmm. you know, why didn't you do this? And why didn't you do that? And blah, 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 blah. Yeah, no shit. I knew that I, <laughs> you know, I knew I needed to probably do this and I didn't and I failed and that's what happened that day, you know? Um, I wonder in, you know, talking to a wide variety of people that if that ever came up in conversations and, you know, how people sort of navigate that, or maybe even what advice you could say just from talking to all these different folks you've spoken to. Yeah. The, the car coach, Carl is the name of that character that I created. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, it seems like a good parenting idea, right? Because you want to, in you want to give all your wisdom to your children. And of course they're listening just very attentively their entire lives to everything you have to say. So we know that the car coaching is probably not really all that effective, but I, I, a couple of years ago started to employ what I'll term like my journalistic strategy. So because I am a journalist in, in nature, I, I started to pretend I was interviewing my kids when they would get in the car to talk about their game from their perspective as if I hadn't been there. So um, not in an interview, like, you know, really legitimately, but I would ask questions that were more on that objective journalistic sort of slant, as opposed to the leading question, you know, of, so do you really think you played that ball really well that went to the center and they scored? Like that would be a leading question. But the, the question I would ask instead would be, so, so how did you feel about today's game? stop and not finish anything not add any more of my impression because that is every time I have a perspective about something from the sideline it's from an adult lens and 30 some years on the soccer sideline and there's plenty of I can't turn some of that off there's a lot of people that'll ask when I watch my kids play so you look at this as a coach I'm like I can't help it that's just how my my brain is developed where it does with soccer is I see everything so of course I see all these mistakes that everybody's making all the time but it doesn't mean I have to say anything about it at all so I it helps me to then lead into that okay where is my kid right now in their understanding and perspective about it and then to lead into so what would you do different about today's game? Is there anything that you would change? And listen again to the answers. And it's been interesting and fun to watch them develop in that. My youngest is, is our soccer player still. My oldest is in college and he stopped playing his senior year in high school, but my youngest still plays soccer. And she is the one that I've gotten the best at interviewing because she's our third and I do get better. You know, we did get better at, our, at raising our children, my poor first, whatever. He'll, he'll make it at some point. I feel this hearted in my soul, Megan. <laughs> oh, man. I just I wish I hadn't screwed up so much with him, but he'll, he'll be all right. But the littlest, I'm much better at interviewing. And um, sometimes I'll just even pretend that I 
haven't been at the game at all. And I'll just say, okay, so tell me, what was your favorite play? Describe it to me. Even though I just saw it, what she sees from the field and from her perspective and as she's learning is really different. And so then I just get interested in that and I'm fascinated by that. And I don't feel as though I have to have an answer. She's getting to the age now where she's starting to ask me questions um, because you know, of, of my experience and that I coach and she's now old enough where that is, she really is invested in wanting to know. And then I'll answer her questions. But if it's unsolicited advice, how well do any of us do with unsolicited advice? Let's be honest. So our kids don't want to hear it either. Just ask them how their day was. I was just thinking through this because I'm thinking through this as a parent and I'm thinking through this as a coach as well, knowing that each one of the players that our, each one of the players that I coach talk to every one of their parents after each game. Yeah. And what are they saying? Because I, you know, as a coaches, we're so invested in our individuals because we have these relationships and how do they see that? And are they looking, are, are their parents critiquing them or are the players looking to get reinforcement of what they might've done or they didn't do or whatever. And so I've always said to our parents, it's not your job to solve the problems for your adult children. I mean, I'm taking this from a perspective of a, of a collegiate athlete, student athlete, you know, and, and, and and so it's not their job. They're there to support. They're there for emotional supports and not to solve problems. And I think that's one of the things that it's important for, for parents to not fuel the fire, not pile on. Mm -hmm. And especially if, if, if you, even if you're asking open-ended questions or even if you're just probing and they give you, well, I should have done this or I should have done that. And then you start piling on, then it becomes even worse for that, for that child. And so I think that's important. And I, and you know, when I think about my own son or my own daughter, you know, I, I, I just think, as you said, the, the journalistic side, just how did you feel? Did you enjoy that? Because really, that's it. And if they don't want to talk about it, they don't want to talk about it. Right. And sometimes that's okay. I mean, we got to have a cooling off period too. Do you ever, have you ever, do you ever come across people that have a cooling off period or we can't talk about the game for 30 minutes or however long it is that you decide arbitrarily after matches or games? Well, yeah, I definitely have the rule with my youngest. That's her rule. My older two would talk right away. Part of that, and that's the relationship that you have with people. You realize where their their points of of contention might be. And some of some people, like they literally shouldn't be talking to anyone after a game for a while. You know, like the the twenty four hour rule exists for a reason. You know, where they tell people to just cool off because. Heart rates rise when people watch. They know that. They know that heart rates rise watching an emotional contest. And the tighter the game, the more pressure the game, the higher the heart rate goes and the less reasonable decisions people make. So if your heart rate's over a certain, you literally don't say anything rational. You should just walk away. So depending on the nature of the game, for sure, that cooling off period is necessary. And um, I think knowing your kid, too. So my, my youngest is the most complicated because she's the quietest. And so getting her and still learning about her. And now that she's 14, she's a totally different kid than she was when she was 10 because, you know, they turn into these little monsters. I love them. I love teenagers. That's what I teach <laughs> and coach. But they are different than they were when they were little. So I'm starting, I'm having to discover her um, every day and every week. And so that takes some time too. 
Yeah, I can't. I just, I, you know, I, I try so hard over my over the years of evolution as a coach and and as a, and taking that into a parent is that you know just trying to make sure that anything that we say to our our child doesn't have any relation to self-worth or mm-hmm. or or uh, defining yourself by that because I mean that that's so important and I just I know that you know these players gain so much from this experience and you were talking about earlier all the different funneling of of avenues and the experience they can gain so much of it if they appreciate whatever role that they're in if they're a starter or if they're a support player if they don't ever get to play they still can gain so much from that experience because as we're trying to create these good humans and good and they're growing and learning through this 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 love of sport you know because I, I was looking through your Twitter and I say this to our players all the time. You had retweeted somebody that said in 20 years from now, no one will care how many points you scored or how many championships you won, or if you even played, mm-hmm. it's how you treat people and how you treat yourself. And I think that's the most important thing that we're gaining from this. And, and so if we can relay that to our child, this isn't about, this is about you developing as a person, not if you won or lost, not right. if you scored 20 points or one goal or two goals or whatever it is. It's how are you developing and how are you treating others? Because, you know, I try to, and Jason mentioned this earlier, I, we have 28 people on our roster. I wish 28 people could play, mm-hmm. but in 20 years from now, nobody will say, oh, you played college athletics? Oh, well, how many championships did you win? No, they're going to say, wow, what an awesome experience that must have been. Yep. And, and so I think those things are so, so, so vital in, in, in that message always being to our, our player or our child of what you're gaining just intrinsically as opposed to, because it's hard to separate the two, especially competitive people. And, and mm-hmm. you know, the investment that Jason talked about you want paying all this money, you better be doing all these things. Mm-hmm. And we got to separate ourselves from those, from those emotions. Gosh, cause right. it is fan parent. I love it. I'm never, mm-hmm. I'm never going to forget that. I love it. <laughs> I'm going to make sure that uh, at the next uh, soccer match, my son has that I'm going to be, I'm going to go as far as far away as I can from everybody. Be just like go sit you know <laughs> just mix it up you know like they tell you when you when you're going you got to sit in a different part of the classroom or you got to try to change your perspective and I yeah. think it's not just the kids who have to have this constant growth mindset that that Aaron mentions the, the adults do too and so I think that has been my approach through my whole life and why I took on this project in the first place is because I wanted to be and to continue to be, and you don't ever arrive there. Like I, I'm not, no one's ever going to be that perfect coach or that perfect parent. Um, it's, it's a constant process and it's a constant growing and looking at every opportunity we have as a way to learn. If you go through life that way and wake up in the morning knowing that today you're gonna learn something new, it's just a phenomenal way to look at the world. And if we can give that gift to each other, that we're all learning and we're all getting better and we're all improving and that we're doing it for the athletes and, and the kids we have the most access to, then, then that's all good. I call that all good. Mm-hmm. I like to uh, put my uh, figurative camouflage on and I actually like to sit with the opposing parents. They don't know that my son plays on the other team usually. And I just sit and listen. Isn't um, it interesting? It's oh so interesting. Yeah. It is incredibly enlightening. In, yeah. 
it happened quite a few times in the fall season. Uh, it, you know, I, and I don't say a word. Um, I just, I sat there very calmly, very patiently. Um, it was, it was incredibly eye-opening actually. <laughs> so, um, Megan, the, the last thing I want to ask before uh, make sure that we get a chance to, to plug your work and where people can find you. Um, tell me what you're like as a coach. Um, and you've mentioned being a coach a few different times. Um, describe your demeanor, describe sort of your approach in terms of, uh, you know, the, the work itself. Okay. So I coach, uh, now I coach boys and I will be coaching girls, high school soccer teams. And I've coached youth and I've coached college and high school is certainly where I, I fit best. I think you figure out like, where's, where's your sweet spot. I like the high schoolers a lot. And I would say that I am, I'm very quiet during the games. My instruction is during practice or on the sideline when the players are right with me. There's very little that parents will hear from me on the other side. And I try to tell them that at the beginning, that just because you don't hear me at the games does not mean that I'm not working my butt off for your kids, because I am. And I'm definitely uh, just a quiet, um, I would say analytical sort of coach. So I am constantly looking at the game from the, the chess piece sort of mentality, watching what's happening from the other. That's the part I love about coaching mm-hmm. is the, uh, the strategy part of figuring out. And it's, you know, player for player, putting combinations of players together, the problem solving. I was a center midfielder, so I see the game from that perspective. And I do think it matters the position you played, like how you, you know, I, I had a goalie as an assistant this year, and he's like, I just want to stand at the back of the net and watch the game from here. And I'm like, I can't stay on that. Like, I want to be up above if I can see anything. So my strategy for the games is that quiet, analytical. For the practices, I am, I am really like kind of invested in fun. I really, really want our athletes to, um, to enjoy the process of, of uh, skill acquisition. And th- so there's lots of ways that you can be creative in how you develop soccer players. And so I like to study that, to figure that out, to figure out where kids are developmentally and what things I can bring to, to them to make them better, um, to challenge them, to push them. And so practices, our games, our, our practices will start with a game and end with a game, something fun on either end. And then um, that is, I, I really spend a lot of time planning my practices because I want them to be super effective for as many of the kids as I can. My off season, I throw a ball into a gym and I let them play. No matter how old they are, we just play pickup soccer at least once a week where I just throw the ball out. They figure it out, the little kids. So we're doing this in the winter now and the younger parents are coming. I'm like, it's okay that I'm not talking to them. They will figure it out. Kind of like recess. They're just figuring out who's going to be on the teams. All I do is throw the pennies out and just let them play. And I have to keep reassuring the parents like, it's okay. This is just a pickup soccer day. This is not practice this is not technical training this is not those are for other times right now they're just going to play and play pickup soccer and the kids love it the kids are coming in droves to do that to just show up and play scrimmages um and in our town we need more programming i need more coaches i need a lot of people that have um some knowledge to kind of grow the technical part of it but we're doing what we can to just make it a thing that people do here is to play soccer so that's my approach so far people want to follow along in your journey and um you know, uh, connect with your work? Uh, what is the best way that they can follow you? Well, the Twitter account seems to be my, my most active online, which is Megan Frank, M-E-A-G-A-N-F-R-A-N-K underscore C-T-G, which is choosing to grow my whole kind of umbrella for all the work that I do, whether it's 
or marriage or sports or there's other projects that are in the in the work there um, so that's one place and then the teamadultplaybook.com is the website that's being built right now uh, the book is out for proposal so that hopefully will be coming together soon in the next year or so and then um, there's also a Facebook page that I am not as good at engaging at, I have to have to admit, but there that does exist. And I'll sometimes share articles or things that I find or some of my research as I'm blogging about it will be up there. Very cool. I will be sure to put a link to all those uh, in the show notes and that uh, listeners can connect with you and follow along. And you're a good follow uh, on Twitter and you always share just, I think, insightful and um, I've read a number of your blog articles, just really good stuff. So uh, Megan really enjoyed having you on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast and uh, welcome back anytime. So when you're on your book tour. <laughs> I appreciate that very much. I really have enjoyed this and, um, and, and I like meeting people who are also going to, to grow me and I feel like both of you guys are going to give a lot, of, a lot of good material for me to be continuing to improve as a human because <laughs> I need that too. So I'm looking forward it's to all it. Aaron on that one. <laughs> uh, that's all we're here for, man. <laughs> Just try to be better every day. You guys hear me talk about this all the time and I absolutely love their product. So I want you to know about Duke Tig Brand, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. If you need a notebook that is already pre-lined that you can just jump right in, plan a training session, take notes during a match, Duke Tig Brand has got you covered. And guess what? They also have waterproof products. And if you work in the coaching world, you know how unpredictable the weather can be from week to week, match to match, training session to training session. They also have apparel too. So I can save you 10% today by going to checkout at duetigbrand.com and use the promo code BROADWATER19, B-R-O-A-D-W-A-T-E-R-1-9 at checkout. duetigbrand.com, plan to be great. A massive shout out to Megan Frank for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. Megan, from Aaron and I, thank you so much for being a part of this show. And I just love the um, self-reflective and analytical nature of how you approach your work. And I think it's so important to be self-aware, um, especially in today's world that is sort of emotionally heightened in so many different ways. We never want to project those things onto our kids and onto our athletes. And that um, I think part of being a coach in, you know, 2019 and soon to be 2020 is part of it is being a emotionally intelligent person. So tip of the cap to you for the work that you're doing. And would love to have you back on the podcast sometime in the future uh, once your book is out. And um, yeah, we'll do a, another deep dive here sometime soon. You can connect with Aaron and I at any time on social media, highly active on Twitter and Instagram for both of us. He is at Ohio Soccer Coach, and you can find me at Soccer Coach JB. So with the Christmas holiday approaching, we'll put out one episode uh, next week after the Christmas holiday.
Thank you guys so much for listening and supporting this show throughout the launch in 2018 and throughout 2019. It really does mean a lot to us as the host of this show. Wish you guys happy holidays and talk to you real soon. Until next time, this has been the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast.